0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast, uh, where we take a peek under the bonnet of, of the market and of the model portfolio space. Uh, I'm Dave Baxter. I'm the funds editor on Asset Allocator's sister publication, Investors Chronicle. And uh, we have a good mix of different guests today. Uh, today, we have uh, Farhad Kamal, who is Chief Investment Officer at Kleinbot Hambros. We have Georgina Taylor head of multi-asset at Invesco. And of course, we have our very own David Thorpe to give some insights into the DFM space. Uh, 2023, of course, has so far, fingers crossed, been a, a better year for allocators and investors. Markets have had a nice rebound in the last um, couple of weeks. And UK equities have again already been in the spotlights. Uh, the FTSE 100 at the time of recording was flirting with some fresh highs. Um, despite perhaps some concerns about a a rebound after a not-bad 2022. The question, of course, now is, um, is the UK market looking attractive? Is the outlook positive? And, uh, you know, should DFMs be kind of loading up on it in their portfolios? Uh, So thank you everyone for for joining. Um, Georgina uh, perhaps it'd be interesting just to kind of get your stance so far on on the kind of UK markets um, it, obviously it's benefited in recent times from its kind of very cyclical nature but I mean is that is that a pitfall now you know do we expect something of a, a, a nasty reversion to mean or do you feel quite positive on domestic shares? Thank you
1: for having me first of all I think they do look attractive, and I think investors are revisiting the UK. If you do any screen of global markets, the UK certainly comes out as looking relatively attractive on a number of different measures. If you want to take the price to earnings, or dividends, or you know, relative valuation across the world. So I think it's definitely back on the radar. I think what we need to grapple with slightly is how many of the global themes are driving UK equities and how many domestic themes are driving UK equities. And what I mean by that is there is certainly a benefit to the UK from all of the news flow surrounding China. And I think if you look at what has performed already this year, there's certainly a link to that. So the reopening theme and that helps support some areas of the UK market, which is the positive. I think the other side is really thinking about the risk premium attached to the UK, given some of the risks that we saw emerge in the fourth quarter last year, and even Andrew Bailey yesterday was, was talking about um, you know, the risk premium coming out of some of UK assets and some of those risks have been put to bed. But of course, that uncertainty always remains, be that emanating from the gilt market and from the bond market, how much volatility will there still be in that rates outlook and how that will impact the UK. And also thinking about the, you know, domestic growth backdrop, you know, it still remains to be seen you know, how much risk is, is still there to, to filter through, to demand, et cetera, from higher rates. So, so the risks haven't gone, hmm. but certainly if you look around the world and you want value, then, you know, the UK looks a great place to be. And certainly the large caps, you know, you get that global exposure. And I think that's certainly what investors are starting to hone in on. And, you know, are certainly supporting the outperformance of the UK this year versus other markets.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose another interesting question, you you mentioned large caps, you think, look appealing, and perhaps Farhad, you have some views on this. Um, I suppose it'd be interesting to kind of consider how allocators should now feel about the kind of market cap side of things. Uh, Clearly, last year, small caps got, you know, especially hammered, and, you know, perhaps people would argue they're a bit more exposed to any economic worries if we are still concerned on that front. Um, I mean, is... Is now kind of an interesting time to look at small caps, given how much they've sold off? Or is that still somewhere where there's too much kind of uncertainty?
1: Unfortunately, it's probably a little bit too early. I think if we think about, we talk a lot here about the sequencing of events right now. And we've had a lot of tightening. Interest rates have gone up. um, And we need to, this year is all about seeing the ripple effects and the lagged impact. Of that tightening that we've seen, be that mm. through the mortgage market, consumer demand. And unfortunately, in that small cap, mid-cap arena, you are still hostage to, to that outlook, particularly for, for the consumer side. The one ray of light might be an MA theme, because this is one thing we've mm. been thinking through here a little bit. And again, it might be too early, but with the fall in sterling, you know, sterling's recovered a little bit, so so that's kind of good from a sentiment perspective. But In terms of how cheap UK assets look, it could prompt um, a little bit of focus from overseas investors. And so maybe this year, maybe a little too early to call it right now, but under the surface, that theme starting to come through as some of those assets look pretty good value to, to overseas buyers. So that's something that's the ray of light. I think from a pure economic perspective, it's probably a little bit early to call that rotation. And also just thinking about where people are grabbing hold of an economic theme, it seems to be a bit more all eyes on Asia and elsewhere a little bit at the moment for seeing that recovery. And again, it's those larger cap stocks that really benefit them from, from that narrative.
2: Hmm. I mean, I, I agree with, with everything she said wholeheartedly. I mean, obviously, the UK large cap remains, remains cheap and uptrending. Uh, which is um which is a perfect combination and actually sentiment is still not great i mean you know y- y- the uk still tends to be quite underowned globally uh, particularly uh, the large cap space and the small cap space or the mid cap space hardly you know massively underowned globally um much more domestic uh sort of holders of that index but yes i also agree that's probably a little bit too early you know when will be the right time it's obviously cheap but um but in the right time for us will be when momentum trends upwards more, um, well, more, you know, on a confirmed basis, if, mm. if you like, and we're we're miles away from that. So, for example, right now the the uh, the the FTSE 250 is, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's sort of it's it's just not demonstrating a a clear sort of buy signal for us from a trend perspective. That'll probably be the first area that we'll notice um, you know, for, for to get in. Now obviously is that going to catch the bottom? Of course not. Are we going to be a little bit late late to the party? Yes, we will. But but there'll still be plenty of good gains um, in it if we if we get in early enough, albeit not at the bottom. But we're not quite there yet. And there's still a tremendous amount of economic doom and gloom. Um you know just this morning uh, you've seen the the wage figures which which you know confirm that we it's sort of the worst of all worlds, right? Where you get wages that are higher than consensus and and still very high, but beneath the rate of inflation. So the consumers are getting killed at the same time as the Bank of England having no choice but to keep um, to keep applying the pressure quite acutely. That you know that that doesn't spell for you know for, for a great um, forecast for domestically focused companies quite yet. Um, the time will come, and and it will take us by surprise. But momentum is probably the uh, the, the fastest and and sh- you know sort of way to to gauge when that right time is um, when it crosses into positive territory. We will be more cognizant of it. But it's not there yet.
3: Um and one of the things, Dave, that we've noticed from the uh, various asset allocator uh, databases that we keep is, um, allocators certainly. View the UK um, as more of a, I suppose, risk-on market. Um, mm-hmm. In the defensive or cautious um, portfolios of the DFMs we cover, the representation uh, of UK equity funds is much much lower than it is in the in the balanced uh, portfolios. And th- that, I suppose that that speaks to the themes that both Fahad and Georgina have mentioned mm-hmm. around. Um, composition of the market and valuation being interesting rather than uh, it being a a significant call on the UK's economic prospects. The other thing to notice, I guess, is that the fund which is most owned uh, by the allocators that we look at is um, a very well-known one, the Linzville Train UK Equity, and that's a fund that really does have lots of global... Uh, globally exposed companies although they're listed in the UK so maybe that's another hint as to how allocators view the UK in the in the, the UK market and indeed economy in the current climate
0: I, I suppose another kind of interesting angle is if, if you're looking at kind of portfolios is you know most allocators now run some sort of kind of income mandate and um, you know the UK equities have, have often tended to offer something nice like four or five percent yield very very kind of tasty but um, but certainly after last year, we've seen, I suppose, quite a lot of competition for yields, whether it's from bonds or even other markets, you know, all sorts of different asset classes, really. Um, Georgina Fahad, don't don't know if one of you has kind of a take on this. You know, is there, is, is there a temptation now to kind of um, rely less on the UK equity market for income? Do you find that you're kind of wanting to mix it up more now you've got more kind of just interesting yields on offer? Just very
1: quickly, I mean, I think the the hurdle for equity investments has definitely got higher and you're absolutely right. When you look across the world, there is genuinely there are genuinely reasonable alternatives and all of that narrative coming into markets. So for us, I think yes, the yield will always be helpful. But you can hold other assets, be that credit to get your risk on exposure plus quite a good yield. Um, you can get your defensive exposure now via the bond market. And there are other equity markets as well. You know, if you look across the world and look at places like Australia or even parts of Asia, they offer um, a yield enhancement versus versus the UK market. So I think you don't rely on it for income, but it's definitely helpful um, from, from an overall Portfolio perspective. Um, I think interestingly, and just to throw this in there, maybe we can come back to it. But you know, there, there's the income element. There's also people expressing, you know, through their region allocations, quite clear currency views as well at the moment, mm-hmm. and that does have quite a, an impact on the income that. You know, if you run global portfolios and asset allocation portfolios, the yield that you're getting to hedge or not to hedge your currency risk and all of those things, you know, that really impacts the income that you're getting from, from around the world right now. And given the big moving currencies, that actually could be quite a support for the UK as people have benefited from holding assets outside of the UK and then bring it home to get that yield. Not that it's the highest in the world, but you're taking out that, that currency risk for domestic investors. So that could be another you know, angle to throw in that income
0: conversation um, around those currency views as well. Yeah, I mean, Farha, do you find currency is playing more of a role in how you would put together a portfolio at the minute? Of course, last year we had the big dollar strength and then, you know, pulled back a little bit towards the end. But that was, uh, I I suppose, almost quite a big distortion to, to many fund returns.
2: No question about it. Currency has always been, you know, a paramount importance, particularly to investors that are that are UK, um, uh, you know, the UK based. Right. I mean, so if you look at, at the last 10 years, obviously, you know, if you were exposed, overexposed to the US, uh, you know, that that decision alone. Would have paid enormous uh, dividends, obviously the exposure to tech, but also the currency was was a massive factor, you know, with sterling falling from whatever it was at what you know 150, 160 all the way down. Well, I mean, until this year, all the way down to parity almost. So mm. huge factor. But I do and I do think that, that, you know, getting currency right is such an incredibly important thing, also impossible to do. But any reasonable long term chart would suggest that the sterling remains exceptionally cheap obviously we have huge headwinds um domestically uh and also the the um, the inflation story in the uk has a lot of idiosyncratic mm-hmm. uh, and structural reasons for being higher than than elsewhere which would you know which would sort of on surface suggest that we should have a weaker currency but I, I do think that actually over the next sort of five five to ten years you this would be an opportune time to start removing dollar strength and to start adding um, and to start adding more to sterling, we have started that process. uh we won't get it, as I said, we won't get it exactly right. the currencies are impossible to forecast and very volatile, but nonetheless, over the long run, we do think that the uk remains you know a country with reasonable uh, institutions a, a country with with a with a with a long history of mean reversion. We don't think that that is you know that's changed, and therefore mm. this would be a sensible time to begin adding. Um, more sterling exposure and 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 diversifying away from what for us anyway had been a long period of of um, of, uh, of overweight dollar positions. Mm. Um, we started to do that now. Uh, you know, as I said, it won't be it won't be perfect, but you know, at, at these levels, at the purchasing power parity discounts that you're getting, at the um, you know, it it seems a sensible long-term bet. So where you know we are moving that in that direction reasonably meaningfully. How are we doing that? Two main ways. One is um, is that many of our non-UK positions we're adding a hedge on. Where we think it's sensible, mm-hmm. uh, so straight straight hedge and, and 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 but in other cases the easier way is to just you know start uh, cycling towards um, UK assets which we have uh, have done um, which are obviously uh, denominated in sterling and 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 make sense. Now we continue, you know, we like the UK equity market right now uh, for a host host of reasons, but one of them is that you know is that valuation picture is very compelling and the dividend yield i know that georgina just touched on it hmm. but the dividend yield is it also remains compelling now obviously the hurdle rate is much higher there's lots of alternatives today where there weren't a year ago you know you're getting 3% in cash and 4% in the uk equity market clearly <laughs> clearly you know there, there are alternatives but still i mean you know for long term investing uh, that compounding factor that the uk offers is reasonably compelling particularly at these levels of valuation um so uh so yeah so long story short we do uh we do think this is a good time to, st- to move away from the dollar m- more towards uh sterling and mm. to do so in the uk equity market which is cheap compelling and uptrending and, and near and near a record high who would have thought that? i
0: know i know unbelievable times and um, i suppose one kind of final point that might be interesting to address is you know D- david mentioned really popular fund among uh the likes of dfms is is the Lindsell Train Fund, uh, so very much sort of like quality style of investing. But I mean, does it make sense now to keep sort of leaning into the value element of the UK market? Or are some of those kind of more growthy or, you know, quality focused funds that have taken a real beating looking kind of interesting again?
2: basically look obviously last year it's it's really important to answer that question with first the context of what really was a spectacular uh, spectacularly bad year for active managers in the UK obviously mm. If you weren't exposed to energy, uh, you you had a massive underperformance, and energy and most fund managers almost. I mean, I can't think of anybody that was overweight energy off the top of my head, right? So most were, and you know, most fund managers in the UK tried to find value away from the large caps and into the mid cap space. And we know that the mid cap had a massive, you know, had a really bad year. So, um, so generally speaking, now is it time to start you know, reallocating to them? Uh, not not quite yet, in our opinion. We you know we we do. Um, we do have we we basically have sort of two allocations in the UK. The larger one is is um, is via honestly is is via ETF because we think that actually that gives us the best um, broad exposure to the UK large cap, including energy and materials, which we still think have room to run. Um, we do have a, a smaller allocation to a mid cap fund. Um, uh, and, you know, it, that uh, it obviously it was it was hurt last year, but we're keeping on to it and we're holding on to it because we still think that, look, at some point when the momentum does shift, as I mentioned earlier, mm. we may well start um, you know sort of recycling out of the large cap and into the mid cap active space. Uh, but we're not quite there yet.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think for us, I mean, we implement views in, in a number of different ways. And I do wonder if splitting the world in growth versus value is answering on yesterday's investment regime, where we were in very much a almost one-dimensional world with policy and growth and how we think about valuing future earnings. And for us, as I say, sometimes we do it just through direct investments. Some of our, our exposure is through funds. And it's really making sure there isn't too much of that style tilt, because one could argue that the next move for bond yields, for example, is just to come down a little bit while we think about the growth implications of what we've seen to date and the tightening and then the you know implications of that for overall demand. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you want to just move straight into the growth-oriented side of the market. So, I think having quite a balanced between value and growth to navigate that transition almost well, in investment regime economic drivers all of those things that we're all thinking about every day can be reflected in that more balanced view across you know active exposures um, and also important things like dividend growth rather than just dividend yields so we're not too focused on the absolute levels of income um, and balance sheet strength as well you know the one thing we haven't seen is really where the risks are really lying across the market and where the pinch points are for, you know, areas that are still exposed to this higher rates regime. So for us, it's really just having that more, kind of rather than going from the growth purely into value, you know, moving from what's happened for years and years and now into the value trade, I think maybe it's just a bit more balanced than that for you pay how we, would, how we would come at that for, for our UK exposure.
3: I think one of the other things that contributes to where the, uh, DFMs in the UK are allocating is that uh, well <laughs> the the number of uh, uh, <coughs> high profile quality managers that are there, in, including Lindsay Train, but I'm, I'm sure there are others that our listeners will have that view of. Um, those names are well established, whereas at the value end of the spectrum, a number of the managers that had a high profile, that managed a lot of capital, that had long track records, have exited uh, the market in in recent years uh, or moved to shops or become lower profile. uh, And and therefore, those who are allocating to value are allocating to a broader number. So a larger number of funds, a smaller number of allocators in each, whereas at the... Those who wish to allocate to quality really do only allocate to to perhaps two, two or three. So that maybe explains uh, some of the um, uh, some of the positions, rather than it being a case of the FMs being only interested in in UK uh,
0: quality uh, or UK fund managers with with a particular growth style. Mm, I suppose that'll be interesting on the value front because they did value managers certainly had. Differing fortunes last year. You know, some I, I remember at one point last year, Alex Wright was having quite a difficult time. I think he pulled it back a bit, but um, okay. perhaps their choices will kind of um, be a bit of a dividing line when it comes to performance still. Um, well, I'm I'm afraid that's uh, all we have time for. But very kind of interesting um, topical discussion. Uh, just like again to to thank um, Georgina and Fahad and uh, David as always for bringing his insights. Um, thank you for listening, and do remember to tune into the next Asset Allocator podcast.
3: Planning for your next trip.